If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Wednesday, February 9th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network will allow you to go online, change your location, and access things you're geo-blocked from. So, for example, if you're a UK expat living abroad and want access to BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, or all four, a Liberty Shield VPN can get you where you need to go and keep your data safe. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. And at libertyshield.com, if you use the code ROUTER50, you will get your router for half price. $7.99 rather than the normal £15. libertyshield.com and again, ROUTER50. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally... Do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes RED10 or EPL10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks. I am joined by the one and only Mr. Kevin DeVries. How are you, sir? Not doing too bad myself. I obviously enjoyed doing the first half of the show a little bit earlier and can't wait to get going on talking about all these transfers. Yes, so this is our biannual Transfer window review. We have done Arsenal through to Leicester, which you can listen to on the EPL Roundtable feed. Just search EPL Roundtable on your podcast service and you will get the first half. And this is the second half where we will go from Liverpool through to Wolves. So let's start with Liverpool, Kev. Luis Diaz is the the big signing that they've made in this window. And it's an important signing for the club as part of a plan to refresh and re-energize the squad. He will likely be the long-term successor to Sadio Mane in the left-sided role. They tried to get Fabio Carvalho from Fulham. Uh, That deal just didn't have enough time and it fell through on deadline day. But recent reports in the last couple of days are that the terms and conditions of that deal, the fee, the payment structure and all the rest, personal terms, are all agreed with Fulham and that Carvalho should become a Liverpool player this summer. They loaned Nat Phillips and Nico Williams to championship clubs Bournemouth and Fulham, respectively. And all in all, uh, a surprisingly busy window for Liverpool, who don't tend to do a whole lot in January. 
Yeah, I think a lot of neutrals are probably pretty surprised. Liverpool don't spend often, but do often spend well, uh, if that makes any sense. And so the Luis Diaz thing, obviously, as a Spurs fan, is a point of contention, particularly with Daniel Levy on how you came to know both about the uh, immediacy with which Porto needed the money to avoid a European suspension and uh, also the fee being significantly lower than the uh, buyout clause. But I think ultimately you've got a player that fits your system well. We ended up getting a player that fits our system well, so I personally am not too upset about it, but uh, a lot of drama there. The Carvalho one on deadline day, (laughs) I saw a lot of Liverpool fans saying, like, oh, it's been a while since we've had a deadline day excitement. Uh, ends up falling just short, as you say, but uh, assuming you get it done in the summer, basically no harm, no foul. So, uh, yeah, an, an interesting one where uh, Liverpool were a bit more active than they've been in years past. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, the Diaz thing, there's a bit of contention there between Liverpool and Spurs, but we'll talk more about it when we get to Spurs. I think you got a player that actually suits you more than Luis Diaz would mm-hmm. if I didn't really understand the purpose of Tottenham wanting to sign him when Youngman's son predominantly plays off that left-hand side. I think he's a better fit for how we play as well, rather than how Conte will want you to play. Uh, overall, I'm, I'm very happy with the window. Um, obviously not getting Carvalho was a little bit disappointing, but assuming we get him in the summer, there's no harm there. I would have liked to have gotten permanent deals for Nat Phillips and Nico Williams. There was a lot of talk, mostly coming from the Liverpool side, of all of these clubs who were interested in Nat Phillips, I think as they tried to find interest in him, in the end, the only offers they got were a loan with an option to buy from Watford and a loan with Leicester, where, in fairness, he was never going to go permanently and in all likelihood would have played a very small amount, assuming they get their centre-backs back anyway. I'm not sure I like the Bournemouth move for him, because I don't know that he starts there over Gary Cahill. Uh, the same with Nico. They have um, a quality right back in Kenny Tete, but he has had injury problems. So who know, who knows how he gets on there? But all in all, I, I think it's a solid B-plus of a window. It would have been an A if they could have got Carvalho, and an A-plus if they could have got permanent deals for those other two. But I think a B-plus is fair. Yep, that's exactly what I've given them as well. Right, so let's move on then to Manchester City. The only incoming for them, uh, Julian Alvarez from River Plate, very highly regarded young forward. City think they're getting the next, or City fans think they're getting the next Sergio Aguero. From my eye, he looks a bit more like Tevez. I do think he's the type of player who will do well in the Premier League. Uh, They sold Ferran Torres to Barcelona at a good price, £50 million. I yeah, they only brought him in for what, like 24 or something like that? Something. Yeah, they doubled their money in 18 months. So you, you can't really argue. And he's been out for most of this season with an injury. So you can't really argue with that. Uh, they did let Philippe Sandler, uh, Patrick Roberts and Eric Palmer Brown leave on freeze, which I think are good moves for those clo- those players just to get going and go somewhere else. And obviously Alvarez has been loaned back to a plate. For the rest of the window, it'll be a big step for Alvarez to come from the Argentine League to the Premier League. But I do like the potential of him. And I think he fits well with how they've been playing the last year and a half without that number nine as the player who can play through the middle or in the wide roles. And his movement and versatility will be beneficial. So I think it's a solid 
B minus window for City. Yeah, lockstep again. It, it gave them exactly a B minus. Um, I probably need to eat some crow after my rant in the summer show where I said City failing to sign Kane was them giving up on the title this season. Because, you know, they're cruising very comfortably to what looks like another title campaign. Um, the 12-game winning streak in late fall, early winter, you know, pretty much sealed things for them. Um, they didn't need to bolster much. They do have a fairly lean squad. I think I saw they only have 21 senior players, which is mm. a bit surprising for a club like City. Obviously, there's a lot of talent in their youth setup. But as you said, they've loaned out a lot of them. So uh, It'll be interesting if with COVID obviously still ongoing, if that causes them any issues. But uh, you mentioned Julian Alvarez. Totally agree. The the Aguero comparisons are just very lazy. They're like Argentina plus City equals Aguero. <laughs> You're like, well, maybe not that directly. Uh, I do have a question for you related to this, which is, because Julian Alvarez obviously very highly regarded, but they aren't going to get eyes on him in-house until the summer. Do you think they'll still be in the sweepstakes for like Holland, Mbappe, Osimhen, Isak, etc.? Or do you think they feel like they've like gotten ahead of the market by getting him in? No, I, I think they'll still try for Holland. Whether they can get him, I don't know. Uh, obviously, Mino Riola and Pep Guardiola don't have a great relationship. There's been a lot of talk that Real Madrid want to get him and pair him with Mbappe. So we'll see how that works out. But for me, I, I've looked at them for the last while and thought, I don't think they need a number nine. I think their best bet is to sign more goal-scoring wide players. You know, they've got Sterling, who's a goal-scoring wide player. They've converted Gabriel Jesus from a nine into a more goal-scoring wide player. Mares, goal-scoring wide player. Foden, goal-scoring wide player. I'd like to see them go for someone like Mikel Oyarzabal from Real Sociedad. I think he'd be a mm. great fit there as, as a player who can play through the middle, but is more comfortable in wide areas, has great movement, very intelligent player, and he'll get you goals. I think he would make more sense for them than you know a, a traditional number nine. But if you can get Haaland, I think you get Haaland because I think he's guaranteed 35, 40 goals a season. Um the, the style of football is great. I like. I don't think Grealish works in that team at all. I think he's been very poor the first half of the season. I think Alvarez and, and players like Oyarzabal are more of a fit for what they want to do because their playmaking comes from Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva. They don't need more playmakers. They need and you know Mares and Foden can can be playmakers as can Gundogan. But what they need is movement and goals and. You know, Alvarez represents that, or Yarzabal represents that. Kane, Kane without Grealish made sense to me. Kane and Grealish did not, not for them and how no. they play. Um, and I think they got the wrong one in the end. I think Kane would have been more of a success because I think with Kane, you can just put lots of pace and movement around him. And even if he doesn't get you 25, 30 a season, I think Kane even getting you 20 goals and 15 assists across all competitions is more beneficial than what someone like a Grealish will give you. Even if Kane sees a drop in his goal numbers, I think his creativity and impact goes up. Um, so Kane would have made sense more so than some of the other number nines that are being linked. Um, but I'd like to see them stick with this no striker policy. I think it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, the players constantly interchanging and stuff is is really interesting. It is. It very much is. Right, let's move on to Manchester United, who were clearly not going to do anything in this window. If you were looking at it logically, they've got a 
caretaker slash interim manager. They don't know who their manager is going to be next summer. It would be foolish to spend money on players who the next manager might not want in six months' time. Now, foolishness is not something that stopped them from doing things in recent years, and we've seen a lot of bad moves. But what we've seen them do in this window is loan Axel Tunzebi to Napoli, loan Anthony Martial to Sevilla, because he seemed adamant he wanted to leave, loan Danny, Donny van de Beek to Everton, and loan Ahmed Diallo to Rangers. Now, I think Diallo has a big part to play in the future. And depending on who comes in, in the summer, perhaps Martial and Donny do as well, because if it's Pochettino, well, he's been credited with a lot of interest in both of those players in yeah. recent years. So I think this is actually, amazingly, a smart window for Manchester United. I think it's actually a smart window. The players that were loaned out, there's no options to buy. They kept hold of Lingard purely on the basis of what happened with Greenwood. And I think all in all, it is actually a smart window from them. So I'm going to give them a C plus. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think you make a lot of really good points. There are some misses that I look at where, you know, Dennis Zakaria going to Juventus for like five million because his contract is about to go out. Like, why aren't United in for him when that's a position that they need? Any incoming manager would appreciate his talents in that position, um, especially when they've needed it for so long. Uh, and then on the other side, a deal that they didn't do but maybe should have is what's the point of keeping Lingard until his contract runs down? I understand the Greenwood situation. I'm sure you've talked about it. We've talked about it on our show. We don't need to get into it here. But no. may- maybe that's it. Maybe they knew this was coming and they were like, well, we can't let Lingard go and we're already letting Martial go. But that's not really his best position anyway. Yeah, I, I, Martial, just- I think if Martial and Diallo hadn't already been out the door when that news broke, they would have kept one of them, probably Diallo, yeah. more of that right-sided player, yeah. and let Lingard go. But and now they're just getting him at a loss. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it is the thing. It, but at the same time, I mean, the time to sell Jesse Lingard was last summer. You know, last Definitely. summer was, was when they made the error in keeping him. He should have been sold in the summer, coming off that great loan spell at West and Ham. And use the Willick deal as a as a baseline. Exactly. Like they were equally like, successful on their loan deals. That's how much it costs. And, and Jesse Lingard is in his prime. You know, he's more experienced. He's an England international. And yes, he's a shorter contract. And yeah, he's older. But I think they would have gotten $25 million from someone like West Ham in the summer if they'd really put... Because West Ham paid, I think, $25 million for Vlasic in the summer. I think yeah. they would have rather had Lingard and I think if, if United had been willing to do that, that was when to sell him. Now, I think it's smarter to keep him till the summer, just from a numbers point of view. He can be your backup 10. He's a backup in the wide areas. The one I thought they should have looked to sell, no matter what fee they got from, was Pogba. Because he's leaving in the summer on a free, and you paid £90 million for him. Like, you're already about £200 million in the hole on Pogba, including wages and agents fees and everything else. Now you're going to lose him for nothing. Or or you're going to give him a big contract. Now you've only got two options. Lose him for nothing or give him a big contract extension that he hasn't earned and will not live up to. So they've taken one of those options off the off the table. I'm sure if they'd gone to PSG and said, look, let's do $25 million for for Paul Pogba, I think PSG would have done it to get him in. But, you know, they, they kept hold of him and, and they have what they have. But... They may well need Pogba over the back half of the season if they're, 
looking to contend for top four because they're not going to win the Champions League. Well, I think we can say that with, with near certainty. They're obviously out of both domestic cups. They're not going to win the league. This will be the fifth season in a row for Manchester United without a trophy. And when you consider that under Alex Ferguson, the longest drought they had was basically one year. <laughs> they, they never had two years in a row under Ferguson from when they won their first title till when he left without a trophy. And now it's five years and seven out of nine since Ferguson left. They've got to get top four or, or this season is an absolute disaster. And does it feel like they're going to get top four? Because to me, it does not. No, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like that to me at all because I look at that Spurs and I think you've got the, the best of the four teams in the mix, United, West Ham, Arsenal and Spurs. Spurs have the best manager by a country mile. Moyes is the second best manager. And mm-hmm. Moyes de Conte is, you know, a Ford Fiesta to a Lamborghini. <laughs> um, they've got the two Spurs have the two best players, Kane and Son, the two best individual players, neither of whom, by the way, have had particularly good seasons so far. So you're expecting more from them in the back half of the year. Spurs have the best central defender in Romero. And I think Spurs have momentum behind them as well. I know they lost to Chelsea, but if the Kane goal is given, which I think it should have been, mm-hmm. I think you win that game. And I think I think you, you carry on as you have been. I, I think and Spurs so Romero and Dyer all back at the same time is yeah huge, huge, huge. I think I think Spurs are the team to to beat for that that spot. Um, I think United they just they don't have a defined way of playing. There's uncertainty over the manager. There's obviously the, the new the new issue that, that arose last weekend. There's a lot of unrest in the squad. There's players. I mean, we're at a situation. They played last night, and two of their players, one was sent away for a few days to get his head straight, and then came out and contradicted the state of the statement no. online. And Cavani asked for the few days off because he was tired. I I don't understand it at all. And like they're relying on a guy who turns 37, I think today, in Cristiano, yeah. who is as I said this before. For me, he is both arsonist and fireman. He turns up <laughs> at the end and rescues them from situations because losing that, because of him that they're in because of him. Uh, Bruno has had a big step back this season, in most part because of the presence of Cristiano, because. Bruno for Portugal is never the same as Bruno at club level. And I know, you know, you can still look at the numbers and say, well, seven goals and 12 assists is, is a hell of a bad season. But compared to what he has done the last three and a half, four years before this, it is a big step back. Um, while they're reliant on Ronaldo, I think they're going to be in trouble. And uh, I, I do think they'll miss out on top four and, and this will go down as, as an absolute catastrophe of a state of a season for them yeah i've i've given them a d so a fair bit harsher than you just because of the misdeals the mishandling of lingard and who knows what the ultimate plan with van de beek is but but you're right maybe i'm a bit too harsh because they could have overspent and uh they didn't end up doing it on to the big spenders of the window then newcastle united um this is the strangest transfer window i can remember kev because it's worked out in a way because of one signing. But if I said to you that Newcastle signed Matt Target on loan, Dan Byrne for 13.5 million, Kieran Trippier for 13.5 million, 
and Chris Wood for 25 million. I think overall, that's a really poor window for where they are and what they need. Mm. But Bruno Gomerich does save this as a window for them. He is a tremendous player. He is automatically their best player. He goes into the conversation as one of the best players outside of the big six clubs. They've paid a fair price to get him. I think 35 million with some add-ons. It, it amazes me that I said this earlier on, on your show that Arsenal and Tottenham weren't all over him because I think he's perfect for both. Um, but he saves them because otherwise it's a very disappointing window in which they didn't seem to have a plan. It just seemed to be very scattergun bids in everywhere trying to buy players that didn't seem to fit in any way, shape or form into what you would imagine Eddie Howe wants to do. Defensively, I think Target is a step down from Jamal Lewis, who's now been left out of the Premier League squad. Trippier's an upgrade on at right back, but defensively, I think he's a step back from Kraft. If Dan Byrne is the answer at centre-back, I don't know what the question is, because he's played less than 15 games in his Premier League career as a centre-back in, in a back four. And Chris Wood, like we talked about in the first half of the show on your your podcast, he's he's 10 goals a season. He's not a, a big-time goal scorer. So to end up with that, uh, that would be very disappointing. But Gamerish does save it. And because of almost Gamerish alone, I'm going to give them a B. Yeah, I've given them a B as well. I mean, it's been a terrible season for them thus far. Bottom five in almost every meaningful attacking and defending stat, which is uh, bad. One point off safety with the game in hand isn't that bad though. Like that's that's just one of the weird ways that this this season has bounced thus far. Um, they couldn't leave safety up to chance. They are suddenly the richest club in the world. So uh, we obviously expected them to sign. Um, I think we mentioned this in the first part of the show as well. No other club brought in four starting players, and it might be five depending on how you view the Chris Wood uh, dynamic with with uh, Callum Wilson there, but. It, that's pretty impressive in and of itself. I agree with you. Some of these players aren't like elite, but Trippier fixes the right back issue that they've had for years. They thought it was DeAndre Yedlin and it was not. Um, Chris Wood, as you say, you know, is he going to get his four to five goals in the second half of the season? Potentially. How will he interchange with Wilson? Will be interesting. Uh, Matty Target at left back. I've always really liked Matt Target. Um, I think he's just kind of taken some weird career steps that haven't really worked out for him, but uh Bringing him in at the expense of leaving out your best left back that was already at the squad out of your 25-man squad entirely is odd. Um, Dan Byrne was very expensive. I do think he's an upgrade on what they had. And then, as you said, Bruno Gamerish is just an absurd signing for them, which I assume they were just like, we're building this team around you. Oh, and also we're quadrupling your wages, which is also a pretty compelling argument. Well, they're going to have to quadruple his wages because he's going to have to do everything in midfield because the other <laughs> options true. are John Joe Shelby, who is almost completely washed at this point, Jolington, who's been converted into a box-to-box midfielder because nothing else was working, hmm. and, and Joe is Willow. kind of working? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's had some good games for sure. I, I just don't know how... I don't know how you're going to stop anybody. I think they'll score more goals. Gamerish, Wood, and Trippier will help them score more goals. Mm. I just don't know how they're going to stop anybody. Because, like I said, I think Trippier defensively, purely defensively, I think he's a downgrade at right back. I think Target's a downgrade defensively at left back. And while I agree that Dan Byrne is probably an upgrade on what they had, I mean, what they had was Kieran Clark, who championship mm. would be a struggle for him at this point. 
And then Gamerish, are you going to try and make him into a pure destroyer in midfield? Because that's not his game. He's a good defensive midfielder, but he needs legs around him and you don't have any because you've left Isaac Hayden out of your squad. I know he's out for the next month or so, but he could have been really beneficial coming back in for the last you know, 10, 12 games. I, I, I don't know that they'll stay up. They're the one club that can afford to go down, though. That's the thing, is that it won't matter to them if they go down because they'll just buy and buy and buy in the summer and they'll come back up and then they will launch an assault on the Premier League. They'll just loan Gamerish for the for the season they're down, I'd imagine. But I, I I just don't know. I don't know if it's enough. I don't know if it's enough. Like you said, five new starters in January? Half a team? That's... It's a big ask to ask them all to settle in at once. A big, big ask. Mm. Especially when they're all coming from clubs that played very different styles of football to what you're going to play. Um, let's move on to Norwich. So, no incomings, uh, which was a little bit surprising to me. They've loaned out Todd Cantwell to Bournemouth. He's obviously had a very disappointing season thus far. Uh, Jordan Hugel has gone on loan to Cardiff. He'd been on loan anyway. Onel Hernandez gone on loan to Birmingham. He'd been on loan anyway. Josh Martin, the same situation, gone on loan, having been on loan. And Sebastian Soto. So, Basically, they've just taken Cantwell out of the squad, and um, that's pretty much it. That's all they've really done. For me, it, I think they could have been a bit more aggressive. Similar to what we said about Burnley, maybe you could have gone and looked at a few overseas loans to come in and give you a bit of a boost for the second half, but they're a club that do operate very, very tightly financially. They're... After Burnley, they've probably got the smallest budget in the league. Uh, Stuart Webber tends to work miracles every single season. They have looked quite a bit better in recent weeks since moving Josh mm-hmm. Sargent from, to the right wing and playing Adam Aday as that kind of number 10 behind Pookie. But for me, I would have said, go and try and find a few more goals for this team. Either, you know, try and get someone in on the cheap who can get you some goals or a loan from abroad, someone that's a proven goal scorer at whatever decent level who might just get you five to seven goals across the, the back part of this season that could keep you in the division. Because I like a lot of the pieces that are there. It's a D for me for not doing anything. It may be a bit of a missed opportunity, but I think if we're all been fair and honest, we all expect them to go down. I, I actually predict them to stay up pre-season. Then they had that horrendous run. I think they go down. But if they stay up, Dean Smith is manager of the year. Yeah, I agree with all that. This this window felt like a concession, which is a little bit surprising since they currently sit outside of the relegation zone, but all the clubs behind them have at least one game in hand. And I think we mentioned earlier, Burnley have four games in hand, <laughs> which, you know, a win and a draw levels them. And yeah. uh, Norwich have the worst goal difference in the division with negative 32. So uh, that's not going to help them when they're in and around that fight. So, yeah, it's it's I forget which club in the first half we talked about like this, but it feels like a concession. But I don't mind that. Like it might have been more foolish to spend to try to bolster uh, than it is to just say, you know what, we're probably going down. Let's just, you know. Get some of our players back into the championship. Get them playing there. When we go down there, they'll rejoin, and, and maybe we can push back up. You know, in the brief period of time that the parachute payments are still coming in. But 
Yeah, a, a little disappointing because I, I agree with you. I think they've looked a lot better under Dean Smith. They made, they've looked a lot better with those tactical adjustments that you mentioned. But, you know, they, they it was like fight or flight time. <laughs> they kind yeah. of chose flight. And I don't know if I blame them for it. No, I don't either. I, I think, you know, when you're in the situation they're in, when you're the, the type of club and the size of club that they are, you know, maybe being the kind of, you know, 21st Premier League team who are in the division one year and out of the division the next year is, is sort of the best they can hope for unless they strike gold with a couple of things. And even though they did, I think with Godfrey and Aaron's and, and a few of those pieces, it, it didn't, it wasn't enough to keep them up because as with other clubs that I mentioned in the first half, there's just a lot of championship level players that kind of get exposed and get targeted and found out. And unfortunately they've got a couple of them. Uh, I do find it quite amusing that Todd Cantwell who fell out with Daniel Farka last season because he was promised he could leave if they went down, wasn't sold, and decided he was too good for the championship, has now accepted a loan back to the championship. Uh, so, you know, good career move, Mr. Cantwell. Uh, let's move on to Southampton. Um, they brought in Will- Willie Caballero, obviously, just for emergency goalkeeper cover. And that's basically all they've done. Uh, Sam McQueen retired after some torrid injuries and everything else stands pat. They clearly have interest in adding to the squad. They were linked with Tino Angerin of Chelsea, who ended up going on loan to Huddersfield. It's expected that Saints will try again for him in the summer. They do want to keep Armando Broja in the summer. So maybe part of why they've done nothing in this window is keeping their money and trying to pull it all in to get those two from Chelsea in the summer. Yeah, Southampton are having a profoundly boring season, which is probably welcome for their fans after some uh, big defeats and relegation scares in recent years. Um, holding on to James Ward-Prowse, we talked about in the summer, it seemed odd because it seemed like they were trying to move forward, but ended up being a terrific choice uh, during that kind of threatened fire sale. Has the most goals for them this season, which is pretty nice. Um, you mentioned Andrin. We, we kind of just all assumed he'd go there because of the success that Lieberman and Brogia have had there. But um, while they don't get Andrin, obviously those two have been fantastic for them thus far. Um, I think this is just a really good stabilizing year for Southampton after a few scary seasons, like I said. Um, they can build and grow from here. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts, though. Do you think that James Ward Prowse should continue to kind of be like the old head and the captain in the squad, or that they should sell in the summer and like go full on like next wave of players? I would probably look to sell if his value holds. And last summer there was rumors of a 40 million pound bid from. It can't Aspen be Villa. less now, can it? It can't be less. It, it has to be surely a little bit more than that. Uh, Ward Prowse, he's contracted until 2026. So he does have a long-term deal there. He is, what is he, 27? Just turned 27 as well. So he's, you know, in the middle of his prime. The issue is, like, I look at the league and I wonder, where is he going as a starter? Like, who's he good enough to play for? And I don't think he's good enough to play for any of the top three. I don't think he's a top four caliber player. As a squad player, sure, but I don't know that anyone really signed, well, maybe City, signs a £50 million player to be depth. So you look at the teams outside of that who are looking at finishing, you know, fifth, sixth. I mean, like Villa would make sense if they want to come back in from. I mean, if, if Leicester lose Tielemans, maybe they'd go back from. 
I mean, maybe they'd try from. He could fit Spurs as a right wing back, but I, I don't know that he's got the pace that you want in that role. Mm. Um, I did think he was eventually going to be the replacement for Winks, but then Winks ended up playing well the last couple of months and it looks like he'll stay long term. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And even if that is he enough of an upgrade to warrant that kind of outlay, I know you'd get decent money back in for Winks, but I, I, that feels like a bit of a, of a sidewards move. I mean, Harry Winks it's is just 20, the set pieces. Is he 23? Winks is, he's, Winks is 26. Yeah. Jeez, I thought he was younger than that. So, yeah, to be fair, in, in that case, because I was thinking if Winks is 23, well, can't he be Ward Prowse in four years? But at 26, he's unlikely no. to be Ward Prowse <laughs> in a year. Um, the, the thing is, he is overrated because of the set pieces. The set pieces are exceptional, but his all-round game is, is just good. It's not great. So that's why I kind of think, you know, if, you, if you're a, a, an elite level club, you're probably not looking at him. But I'm sure there'll be interest. He's an England international. There'll be, there will be clubs to come in from. I would look to sell because if you can get 50 million, well, all of a sudden you could get Brohia, you could get Anjuran, and maybe you have 15 or you have 10 to 15 million left over that you can invest into another midfielder. You've done really well identifying talent in recent years. Livermento, Diallo, Salisu, Brohia. These are all good signings. I like Perot, the young left back. I like I like what they did with uh, Walker Peters, who's now sort of that combo fullback, who's the backup choice on both sides and is working out well for them. You know, they they could do it an upgrade in goal, and maybe that's where that ten to fifteen million would go is buy them a, a good goalkeeper, because the rest of it is fairly solid. Now, there's not a whole lot missing there other than, you know, keep Brohia more depth in midfield. And a bit more depth in other spots. There's, there's not a massive needs at Southampton if they want to just be a mid-table team, which is kind of what their ceiling is anyway. Um, I, 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 yeah, I'd, I'd probably look to sell. Gotcha. I ended up giving them an NA just because I didn't feel this window really merited much of a grade. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Like, I don't think you can give them an F because I can see the logic in them not doing anything. Um, I'll just give them a D because that's what I did with the other teams that, that didn't do anything. Um, I, I do think they're positioning themselves for the summer to go and get Brohia permanently. And it makes sense to try and keep the money then end up, you know, spending something now and being short in the summer if it comes down to a matter of five, ten million. Um moving on then, and uh this is the one we've been waiting for. Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> Football Club. So this is kind of two windows in one. I really like your incomings. You've brought in Rodrigo Bentancourt and Dejan Kulosevsky. I really like both players. I think they both offer significant upgrades. Bentancourt in central midfield and Kulosevsky on the right-hand side of your front three or as a 10 behind Kane and Son. I think they're excellent deals. I think you've got very good value on both as well. Uh, 17 or 18 million on Rodrigo Bentancourt and it's a loan fee of like 9 million with an option to buy for, is it 30 million? On Kudos, or an obligation to buy on Kulisevsky. Mm-hmm. But it's an 18-month loan, isn't it? Yeah, the, the, the numbers on both deals are a little iffy. <laughs> well, it's Juventus, so, so they're always going to be. Their accounting practices are a bit strange. <laughs> and we have the guy that made them strange. So yes. <laughs> it makes sense for all that to be weird. Uh, I assume you were going to talk about some of the outgoings there uh, as a follow-up, which is equally strange and Antonio Conte referred to it directly as such today saying that it's yeah. very strange to loan out four players and sell another 
in the January window. And that, that means that there have been failures in recruitment, which is uh, the kind of truth bombs that I'm sure Levy was hoping wouldn't happen if he tired in, <laughs> Antonio Conte, but was clearly always going to happen. It was always um, going to happen. It was. But I mean, yeah. look, the thing is, you, you bought Endombele and La Celso for Pochettino and then sacked Pochettino three months later. So they never really got the opportunity to get a good run. La Celso was on loan initially, and then Endembele had Carried a couple of that first half of the season, which is why we made it the purchase. The, the permanent deal, exactly. And then, obviously, things went, went sideways. He had a couple of injuries, and well, you're now on your third manager from when you bought him. You had Mourinho, then you had Nuno, and now you have Conte. And there was a, a Ryan Mason spell in between <laughs> yep. there as well. Um, Jack Clark has been loaned to Sunderland. He was a young player brought in, obviously, from Leeds after one good season in the championship where you kind of jumped at it and it, it hasn't worked out. He's had a couple of loans that hasn't worked either. Uh, Brian Hill, who only arrived in the summer under Paratici, he's been loaned out now replaced by Kulosevsky, which suggests, you know, considering Hill's best position is the right side of the attack, left footer cutting in that maybe there's a feeling that that was not going to work and he's going to be off in the summer. And then the Delhi deal, which... the Delhi encapsulates everything about Spurs for the last seven years. He was absolutely outstanding for about three and a half years. Then the wheels came off over about a six-month period that culminated in a Champions League final. Similar to you, where you had three great years, a decent first half of the eighteen ninth of the eighteen nineteen season. Mm-hmm. The second half, your league form was an abomination, but it was covered up by the fact that you made the Champions League final, and people sort of ignored how bad the league form had been. Similar to Delhi, and Arsenal and then, were just worse. Down that and stretch. Arsenal were just awful, so you could just laugh at them. And then the last two and a half years have been. Nothing short of a shambles in terms of Delhi and Tottenham. Like Delhi is kind of the defining Spurs player from was it the start of fifteen sixteen until mm-hmm. now, and it you know this is a player who you once turned down eighty million for, and he's now left on a quote unquote free transfer that you know in all likelihood you probably get thirty million for at a minimum. He he will play sixty odd games for. For Everton, there's no doubt there. Um, it's a shame. He he should have been so much more. Maybe it's an attitude thing. Maybe it's more a him thing than a Spurs thing that's caused this decline. But it's a shame to see him going to Everton when you know when he was at his best for Spurs. I think every club in Europe would have loved him. And Dumbelli, huge talent, but it it's just never worked again. It seems to be more an attitude thing thing with him. Lo Celso's the one I find the strangest, though, because like you said, he started off brilliantly. And there's moments where you watch him and he's just exceptional. And if you're watching Conte's Inter, you could picture Lo Celso in that Ericsson role. Yeah. But maybe Conte plans to play more of a 3-4-3 than a 3-5-2. And there's just not room to accommodate a player of his style in a two-man midfield. Uh, under Conte, so maybe that's why he's just said, look, go play somewhere else and get your value up and we'll sell you. But this, it is kind of, like I say, Delhi defined Spurs the last six and a half years, and Dembele and La Celso defined the failures of the last two and a half years, and 
Brian Hill kind of defines the weirdness of Fabio Paratici. <laughs> yeah, in this last summer. And, uh, you know, finally opening up the purse strings for a manager you knew you didn't want, who then you got rid of a couple months later. Kind of a trend there, huh? Um, yeah, you mentioned Jack Clark as well, which really makes the summer of 2019 look really awful because that was Lacelso and Dombele, Jack Clark, and Ryan Sessignon. And obviously there's still time for Sessignon, but he's had his own struggles both on the pitch and with injuries and stuff. Um, and all of them have options to buy which is just very telling. And we talked about that in the first show that maybe that's, you know, a representation of the fact that there might be money this summer, but let's be real. Are, are Leon going to spend 65 million euro to keep Endobile? No. So he's going to be back. Lacelso is probably going to be back. I could see Brian Heal, um, you know, still having enough value in Spain after the year he had last year that people will just be like, oh, well, that was a dumb thing Tottenham did. <laughs> we'll, we'll buy him back. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's very telling. You mentioned Deli Ali. Um, I, I saw some people that aren't Spurs fans being surprised about like the emotional outpouring when no. Deli finally left. I but, even thought it was a little bit muted, to be honest. I thought yeah. he deserved even more. Yeah, I mean, he won Young Player of the Year twice. He gave us countless moments of brilliance on the pitch, some huge goals, the assist twice in the Ajax match that got us to a Champions League final. I think people just remember this attempted central midfielder Mourinho version of Delhi rather than what he originally was, which was a shadow striker, is really what Delhi was. He was somebody that played in the space behind a striker and was just lethal. And he actually played that role for the first couple of months under Mourinho, but then he got hurt, and then Sun took that role, and Sun was never going to lose it again, and he clearly hasn't. Um, so then it was, where do you fit him in? Do you play him as a 10? Well, he doesn't really have the passing range to be a 10, and he's a little bit careless with the ball. So, okay, well, never mind. Let's let's push him further back in the setup. He has legs for days, really good instincts. Oh, well, he's careless there too, and now it's happening right in front of the defender, so what do we do? Now you play him on the wing, maybe, which did work some under Pochettino when we failed to have a right winger for years before we signed Lucas. Um, and so we'd play Erickson and, and Deli together. Uh, there's a lot of metrics that show that we just used him wrong, that the amount of progressive passes into Deli were shockingly low. His average depth of, of possession and average depth of position, both way deeper um, from Mourinho onward. So uh, it just feels like some of it's on his side of the fence, some of it's on Tottenham's side of the fence, but really it's just a shame on both that that he never got to the level that he should have. Will he get there under Frank Lampard? Maybe, because, you know, it was Lampard who, you know, Delhi was shattering all of his records and all of that. But, yeah, I think ultimately, as you say, this, while he does represent the last seven years, the rise and the fall, I think ultimately he really captures the Pochettino era. His arrival and the swagger and the smirk and the nutmegs and the creativity and the free-flowing football where, you know, for two of those years, 15 through 17, everybody we played said we were the best team we played that year. But it didn't matter. We got beat by Leicester. We got beat by Chelsea to those titles. Um, and so Delhi was that. He was the swagger that, that saw that rise. And he was also the losing form that led to Pochettino's departure. And I think this is like this is like the last part. It's like throwing away the last trinket that you had in your house from an ex. Like... It, we're all bummed about Delhi individually, but it's more like his departure really means that the Poch era is over. Um, of the of the players that were on that Champions League final squad, I think it's just Kane, Winks, Dyer, Hugo, Davinson, if memory serves. I might be missing a couple there. 
but it's it's really it's the the page has been turned and as you said it has not been for the better the past couple of years but income these two new exciting players uh mm. we've inarguably upgraded on the squad both are young both have loads of potential and fit into multiple versions of conte's tactics you mentioned lacelso maybe only working in the 352 well we have to play a 343 now because unfortunately for conte lucas and son are two of our are, are, are two of our like five best players right now so you can't really drop either of them. So you're kind of stuck with the 3-4-3. Kulisevsky, obviously Italian young player of the year a couple of years back, which created a tug of war between Conte at Inter, Paratici at Juventus. Now they're both at Tottenham and now he's at Tottenham. So there's a nice little poetry there. Um, I have a working theory that Italian and Swedish friends that I have haven't discounted at least, which is that Kulisevsky at 21 is just basically the current version of Bale. Not loads of space, not loads of pace, but obviously reads the game well, has really good vision and technique, left-footed, likes cutting in from the left to shoot, and do this little cutback thing where he like acts like he's going to cross, but then he actually just taps it into the center of the box on the floor. Um, but uh, formationally, he can play on the wing in a 3-4-3, like you said. He could play behind Kane and Son in a 3-5-2. I think he could even do a job as Son in the 3-5-2 if Son yep. missed any meaningful amounts of time. Conte saying he could be a wing back is just, let's not. Yeah, um, let's that not actually, do that. Let's not yeah. do that. You, you could see him maybe playing in a midfield three. Yeah. as one of the number eights because he has that ability to carry the ball over distance. He's a big physical being as well, so mm-hmm. yeah, I think that would be fine. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I I really like what, what, what you've done in terms of the incomings. It's, it's funny, I was actually looking at this recently for something else, and if you look at the Champions League final of, of, 18, of 2019, and you look at the Liverpool team, well, Alisson, Trent, Matip, Virgil, Robertson, Hen- uh, Henderson, Fabinho, Salah, Firmino and Mane are all still at the club. That's 10 of the 11 who started. And off the bench, you've got Kelleher, Gomez, Milner, Oxlade-Chamberlain and Origi. So you've got 16 of the 23-man squad or 15 of the 23-man squad still at the club. You look at the Spurs team, Lloris is still there. Trippier's gone, Alderweireld's gone, Vertonghen's gone, Rose is gone, Sissoko's gone, Winks is still there, uh, Delhi is gone, Eriksson is gone, Son is, go- Son is still there, and Kane is still there. Four of your starters. And then from the bench, Vorm and Gasaniga are gone, Sanchez is still there, Walker-Peters is gone, Foyt is gone, Auer is gone, Davies is still there, Lamella's gone, Wanyama's gone, Dyer and... Lucas Moura are there, and Lorient is gone. You've got eight. Eight of your 23-man mm-hmm. squad. Fifteen players gone, and I don't think you can say that you're a better team now than you were then. So that just points to a lot of errors in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you you look at the outgoings, and, you know, Endembele, Lacelso, and Ali, all 25 years of age, should all be entering their prime now and should all be big parts of, of the Spurs team. But all of them are now, you know, two of them loaned out with options to buy one to the club that you bought them from, one gone on a weird free transfer type of deal with, you know, <laughs> with whatever. Yeah. And it's just like it shows how, how wrong things have gone at Spurs over the last couple of years. But I, I get like you, you were trying to loan the Celso to Leon originally. That was the original yeah. deal. And he turned that down. How did a conversation not strike up about Bruno Gomerich in those days? 
How yeah. is there not look? Why don't you just take Endembele? Just take him and give us Gamerish. Just let's just yeah. do a swap here. And if you yeah. look, if you if you need five, ten million thrown in, yeah, we'll do it. We'll take the hit because Endembele is not going to play for you again. He's clearly not somebody that that Conte wants. Nuno, for all his flaws, he didn't want him. Jose didn't seem to want him. It doesn't seem like there's any future for him at Spurs, and and it's just it's a bizarre window. It really is. It's a mm. good incoming, and the outgoings again, they're fine in in a vacuum. They're fine, but when you look at what they should have meant to Spurs or what they did mean to Spurs in the the, the case of Delhi, I do think um, I do think you know it it does speak to a lot of issues that you've had over the last couple of years. That hopefully will start to get put behind you. What did you give us a grade for your for the window? So I ended up giving it a C plus. Uh, we didn't really get into Bentancourt. I do think he fits in into both systems as well. Um, time will tell uh, on how that one works out for us. We've done a lot of financial nonsense, but I went with a C plus. And, and I think the quote from Conte's presser today is perfect, which is the squad is thinner but more complete. The the players yeah. that we brought in fit his style. He likes having a smaller squad. We only have the FA Cup in the Premier League left. The players that left didn't buy in or didn't fit the system. The ones that we brought in, we are sure will buy in and fit the system. So thinner but more complete, I think, is a really good synopsis for this window. Yeah, I think it's absolutely fair. I do think it's absolutely fair. Um, yeah, I think, like, in terms of what they've actually done and taking everything else out of the equation... It's a B window. It's a B window. I would have liked to have seen you address the issues you have at centre back, particularly a left footer, because uh, Ben Davies is just never going to be the answer there. Mm-hmm. Seems like Gavardiol uh, is the target long term. Yeah, I mean, and he could be very, very interesting. Uh, he's a super talented player. You know, there's, there was talk of bringing in a right wing back. I don't know why Adama was the the target because <laughs> I just think he's. Not that he's not dreadful, obviously, but I just he's not he's not the one you'd want, especially under Conte. Um I, I think you failed up though. I really do. Like you went for Adama, it fell apart, and it seems like you just took that money and went and bought Bentoncourt, who's a yep. much better player and a much better fit. Mm-hmm. You went for Diaz, and I, I need to know why. I don't understand what the what, were you going to move Son to the right of the front three? Was maybe that was the plan? Yeah, I but, think so because he's so two-footed. I think yeah. the point was he can be anywhere. But again, I mean, is it, he's he's clearly better off the left. So I think you again you failed. It may, maybe not failed up, but certainly failed into the right move for uh, Kulisevsky, who, who I think is absolutely outstanding, and I think will be a great addition. So all things considered, for what you've spent, which is you know including the loan fees. You've probably only spent about twenty million with the loans out and the loans in. And if mm-hmm. the the Delhi deal works, it's probably a a net profit window because you'll get more for him than you'll pay for Bentoncourt. Um, yeah, it's I think it's a B window. Cool. You're you're more kind than I. Uh, moving on then to Watford, and um, again, this is a very very strange kind of window from the weirdest club. In the Premier League, a club that really <laughs> would fit far better in Serie A with how they operate and how they treat managers and and things of that nature than they do in the Premier League. So they brought in Samir, 
they brought in Akoya, who's a young goalkeeper, uh, and he's been loaned back out. They brought in Kayemba, a good young holding midfielder. Kamara, who's a, very much a left wing back rather than a left back. Kalu, who I like, he's a very talented young uh, attacking forward. And Yasir Espria. Now, interestingly, on Yasir Espria, Watford haven't announced that they've signed him. They merely put, put him in their squad for the rest of the season. There was no acknowledgement that they signed this kid. Uh, but he's very, very talented. <laughs> I, I, I like the incomings. I really do. I think they've done good business. And they didn't lose anybody important in the window. They they ended the Ozan Tufan debacle. Um, I think they had to pay a bit of money to cut that loan short because they had an obligation to buy if they step, stayed up. But I like Samir. I like Kayembe. I like Kamara. I like Kalou. The problem I have is Samir is a back three centre-back. Kamara is a wing-back. And then you sacked Ranieri and brought in Hodgson, who's not going to play a back three and wing-backs. So I don't know that those signings are necessarily going to work as well under Roy. But I do think Roy will give you a better chance of staying up than Ranieri would have. So I'm going to give them a B based on the business that they've done, because I do think the signings are decent. It's just a bit of a weird one with Hodgson. But at the same time, Hodgson, for me, just gives you a better fighting chance than than Claudio did. Yeah, this, this is a weird one, because they've actually done a lot. I'm not sure how much of it actually helps their starting 11, and you know, given where they currently are on the table, they feel like one of the teams that is going down. So I'm torn between, like, should you have tried to stay up more? And like we said before with, with, uh, sorry, with Norwich, are you just accepting that you're probably going down anyway? I, I mean, with the 20 matches played, you do have games in hand on the vast majority of clubs ahead of you. Um, Hodgson could be the difference. Obviously, some of these transfers were made under the previous manager in between and post Hodgson. So, uh, but that's not a surprise. As you said, kind of Serie A style. They're, they're signing players and then finding a manager that they think matches it, although they're terrible at it, which is why they go through 17 managers per season. Um, I've gone for a B minus. Maybe I should have just gone for a C because I just feel like this is, um, Talent hoarding, kind of the way we used to praise Brighton for, so maybe I'm just being too harsh. Uh, where's the center back though, Dave? How, how many years now? Where's the where's the starting quality <laughs> is, center back? Isn't here? this always what we talk <laughs> about with Watford? I mean, there's there's a guy on Twitter who, who I re- follow, and he's a really good guy. He's a Watford fan. At Lawrence is his um is his handle. Really, really nice guy. But I was talking to him recently just about about Watford and about you know, their squad and, and different things. And we were looking at, at you know, what they've got. And I quite like Ngaki. I think he's a decent player. And Kiko Femeni is, a, is an okay backup uh, at left back. They have Messina, who I, I think is decent. And obviously they've brought in Kamara now, so that's okay. And then you look at centre-back and you're like, well, hang on a second now. Craig Cathcart is awful. Cabiaselli is awful. Trusta Kong is awful. Nkulu was good like four years ago, but he's massively injury prone and he's passed his best. Um, Siralta, we haven't seen enough of to know if he's any good. And then they brought in Samir, who's clearly best in a, in a back three rather than in a, in a back four. And this is the third centre back they've signed from Udinese after Trusta Kong <laughs> and Siralta. So there's clearly some sort of mon- money laundering going on here, but. Yeah, I mean, they tried for Nat Phillips on a loan with an option to buy. And to be honest, I think Liverpool should have gone back to them at the end of the window and said, look, if you still want to do this, we'll do it. 
because I think he would have got more games at Watford and they're a Premier League team. And maybe you have that obligation that if they stay up, they have to buy him and you can get a good fee for him. But yeah, just uh, there's a, look, even Watford fans know there's no plan here. There's, they don't know what they're going to do from one week to the next. They could sack Hodgson before the end of March and be on to manager number four for the season. Or Sar could come back and they could finish like 14th. <laughs> yeah, because the way Emmanuel Dennis has played this season, and we know the talent Sar has, and, you know, Cooper Hernandez could kick on in the second half of the season. Kalu uh, could step in and do well. Josh King could do well over a run of 10, 15 games. And maybe they could because they have the firepower to stay up. I think of those clubs in that bottom group, they definitely have, and I include Newcastle in this, the best group of attackers, the most talent there. It's going yeah. to be about trying to patch together that defence and getting the right balance in midfield. I think Luza and Sissoko is probably the best options they have, but it's Roy, so I can see a lot of Tom Cleverly between now and the end of the season. <laughs> um, Right then, the penultimate team for us is West Ham United, who clearly had needs, clearly had to go and buy a centre-back in this window, clearly had to go and buy some depth up front and could really have done with some extra cover in midfield because after Rice and, Ch- and Suchek, the only player they have who's a decent centre midfielder is Alex Kral, who's barely played this season. Uh, and in the end, they've done nothing. They were linked with a number of players. They were linked with bids for Rafinha and Calvin Phillips, which were just foolish stuff, the stuff of sheer fiction. They were never going to happen. They tried to get Darwin Nunes very late in the window. He turned them down. Would have been a great signing. He would have been incredible. He would have been absolutely phenomenal. But I mean, I, I could have, you know, I couldn't understand. Like Marcus Turam, for example, at Borussia Mönchengladbach, in terms of a backup player for Mikel Antonio, similar type of player, you know, a wide yeah, player converted into the front, big, big and physical, powerful in the air. That, to me, was a simple deal to go and make. He is available for around 10 to 12 million. And they just sat on their hands. And I I think this is a huge missed opportunity. We talked earlier about, you know, could United get top four? I think West Ham, because of how consistent they've been over the last two years, they're the biggest challenge to Spurs, in my view, for that fourth place. Because I don't know that I can trust United. I don't think I can trust Arsenal. I know I can trust West Ham to be consistent across the rest of the season. And with the way, you know, Arsenal, Spurs and United have been, they could all lose three in a row and West Ham could launch themselves back, you know, to a four point gap on them. But I think they've massively missed their opportunity here. And I think this was their one and only real opportunity at top four, because next season, I think the league is going to be a lot stronger with Conte having had his full summer and a preseason with Levy going to be under massive pressure to back him, with Arsenal adding more, with United getting a real manager in. I expect Leicester to bounce back this year. I like what Wolves and Brighton are building. And Villa, I think, are going to take a step forward next year. I think this was West Ham's one big opportunity, and I think they blew it by not doing anything. So for me, it's a it's an F. Yeah, I've given them an F as well for almost exactly the same arguments. David Moyes can go on his press conference and say that he feels supported because he knew his club were making these bids, but that doesn't make you have the players. Like, like 
you know, it, it's not a Pyrrhic victory. It's just a failure, hence the Fs from both of us. Um, they have already started the slide. They've won just four of their last ten. The the table looks kind to them because they're sitting in fifth, but only Chelsea have played more matches. Almost everyone else around them has games in hand. You mentioned the rejections, you know, Darwin Nunez, Rafinha, Etiquite, Lingard, even just back on loan or to buy. You know, it's it's uh, it's a pretty big failing. I totally agree with you. United with a manager, Arsenal with money and maybe a manager, Tottenham have their manager. And while we don't have the money, although, you know, while we were talking about Tottenham, allegedly we've had two different naming deals for the stadium fall through. And that's kind of what we sold Conte on with, with where the money was coming from. So that's uh, a little bit concerning, but in theory, we'll have to spend regardless. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this was West Ham's moment the same way the last two seasons were Leicester's. Where, you know, you have a very small window where you get to to punch through the way Tottenham did, you know, in the mid 2010s. And you have to capitalize or you're just going to miss it. And then you're going to start losing your players. And I think that's that's the situation here. You know, if, if West Ham miss out on Champions League, maybe maybe they keep all their players for one more Europa League campaign. But if they fall short again the following year, you know, players like Gerard Bowen, who's having an incredible season, what happens with him? Um, you might be able to Declan keep holding. Rice been the big yeah, one. Oh, totally. Yeah, I don't know how I you know, missed that. They're going to have big offers for him this summer. Yep. And even if they can keep him, you know that, like, he does want to go back to Chelsea. That's, I think, fairly obvious to everybody. His head is going to get turned at one of these big moves, whether it's Chelsea, whether it's United. Somebody's going to make him an offer, and he's going to spend next season thinking that's too good to turn down. I'm gone at the end of this season. And if he's, if he's in his head, he's gone at the end of next season. He's not going to be fully committed. He's not going to mm. risk a major injury. So yeah, it, it's just a little bit concerning. And you know, you look at the likes of Fornals, the way he's playing. I mean, Kurt Zuma, mm. I think took the West Ham move as a springboard to get back to, a, you know, an elite level club. Um, And they've got, they've got work to do in the summer as well. They really do have work to do. So, I think it's a big missed opportunity, and I think they will regret it. So, um, yeah, I, I think, like you said, it, it, Moyes can say what he wants, but the fact is, he hasn't been backed. He hasn't been backed. If they were sell, if they were, if they'd bought Calvin Phillips for fifty million, they might as well just have hung a for sale sign around Declan Rice because top four or not, there's no way they were keeping both of them because Suchek has to play. He's too important to them. Yeah. Um, it's going to be tough. Last club then is Wolverhampton Wanderers. One of the surprise packages of this season, I think it's fair to say, in eighth under Bruno Lage, who has to be an outside contender, I think, for manager of the year. Second just got best, manager of the month. Just, just got manager of the month and brought everybody that works at the training ground out for the picture, which I thought was brilliant. Second best defensive record in the league, Kev. But the second worst, sorry, the third worst attack in the league. <laughs> Yep. Which has to be the first time somebody has had, because they were second worst attack up until a couple of games ago as well. But it has to be the first time someone's been in the, you know, the top three of one and the bottom three of the other at this point in the season. They sit eighth. You could look at it and say, well, Adam is gone, so they're weakened. But Pedro Neto is on his way back. And they and weren't he, even starting Adama. That's the thing. Adam wasn't he a squad player. Pedro Neto might be their best player. He's certainly in their top two with Ruben Neves. They brought in Chiquinho, a young Portuguese winger from uh, Estoril. Of course, a Portuguese connection because, you know, it's 
Wolves after all. Uh, Kuabe, Japanese striker brought in from Grasshoppers. He's been loaned back out to Grasshoppers for the rest of the season. It feels like they could have done a bit more, but they're in a weird situation with their owners where they're owned by a Chinese conglomerate who are under instructions from the Chinese government not to be you know, spending all your money overseas, bring it back to China or we are going to start taxing you heavily. It's one of the reasons Southampton's owners sold up so quickly. Uh, it's one of the reasons West Brom's owners have been sh- shopping the club around for a couple of years now as well. Maybe they're just being cautious. Maybe there is a sale on the horizon or maybe they're just saying, look, let's work with what we have. And in the summer, we will back Bruno Lage to bring in more players to move to what he actually wants to play, which is a 4-2-3-1 type of system. Um, but they didn't do anything foolish. I think the Adama deal is maybe a bit of a spoofy one. Like Barca, I don't think, are taking up that option to buy. I think they've just brought him in on loan while Anzu Fati's out. Um, and while they figure out what's going on with those Mano Dembele. Exactly, exactly. You know, because they, they seem to be just shunning him for the rest of the season. So Adama fills that fills that role for them. This Chiquinho kid is meant to be very, very talented. Another kind of high-end prospect that they're landing. So I think all things considered, they haven't done much of much, but they haven't done anything bad either. So I'll, I'll give them a, a D plus. Yeah, I've just given them a C minus. So <laughs> same area. Probably feels a lot better getting a C than a D though. Um, I, I personally am offended that they're trying to take the South Korean crown from us. Obviously, you know, Sun's gonna win Asian Player of the Year for like the next decade still. Um, that's not true. He's turning 31, I think, this year. But, um, yeah, ultimately, I think this is a fine window. It's, it's, uh, I forget who it was in the first section, but it's, it's the same where it's like, you're already mid-table, you're gonna be mid-table, so, you know, no, no need to purchase to move up, because you're probably not getting into the European spots. You don't have to worry about relegation. Uh, you bring in a couple of players that you assume will, will help you long term. Um, and like we're saying, if the money comes in the summer, maybe you spend then, as you said, maybe maybe a purchase for the club comes in. Um, but yeah, ultimately, it's fine. It, it is a fine window for a team that are doing pretty well, as you said, crazy stats uh, for them. Also, I think they're like wrong both ways, expected goal wise, like they should have scored more and they should have conceded more goals. But it doesn't matter because of the other one. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just just very odd. So, like, it's still true, even though it's wrong kind of thing. But, yeah, Wolves, very strange, but but definitely seem to be trending correctly under under Bruno Lodge. Certainly, definitely. I think he's a manager as well that might get some some looks in the summer if, um, if he's not going to get back, you know. I think you could look at if... If Brighton were to lose Graham Potter, let's just say there's a bit of a merry-go-round where Rodgers leaves Leicester and Potter goes to Leicester, which could be a natural progression for him as sort of the move that gives him the springboard then to take over at one of the, the big six. Um, then Bruno Lage to Brighton could make sense. Bruno Lage to Leicester could make sense. Um, it, you know, Wolves are going to have to be careful with him. He's a very good manager. He did a great job at Benfica and was only really sacked because of kind of behind-the-scenes politics uh, involving a desire to bring uh, George Jesus back to the club, who you know hasn't worked at all, and he's at the door now. But he is a very good manager who kind of they snuck in under the radar, and he's taken over a team that was going in the wrong direction under Nuno, 
and turned them around with what did he do? He, Rui Patricio left and he brought in Jose Sa. Who they brought terrific. in terrific. Who's been outstanding. And I, I genuinely thought, based on what I'd seen before this season with Porto and Olympiacos, I thought he was awful. But he's been brilliant this season. Um, they brought in Huang, who's had a, a good impact. They obviously need some help up front. They need to score more goals. Individually, you'd look at the defenders and say, well, Kilman is very good, very underrated. Cody's very limited and can't play in anything other than a three. A three. Size can't play in a, in a back four either because he's naturally a midfield player and he just doesn't have the the kind of positioning to play in a two. But Laj has gone to the back three, which isn't his preferred formation, and he's made it work. It reminds me of Tuchel at uh, Chelsea and the way he sets his team up and how they defend and how they kind of maximize their strengths and hide their weaknesses really well and rather than being a dominant team they're more of a restrictive team who don't let opponents get big chances against them Graham Potter does the same thing with the way he sets his defense up and if you look at the three of them they're all great defensively they all struggle in attack they play good football they create chances but there's not never enough bodies in in the box and things like that I, I I think those three are very much cut from a similar cloth. I think Tuchel is obviously the best of the three, but yeah, I'm really impressed with Bruno Lage. I'm impressed with Wolves this season. They're they're enjoyable to watch again, which is nice. If you'd told me before the season that I would have sat down and enjoyed watching Crystal Palace be- against Wolves, I would have thought <laughs> you'd lose your mind. But it was one of the most enjoyable games I've watched this season. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, standing standing put. You know, maybe you're right with the, with the C minus. But, um, yeah, that is us, Kev. That is 20 teams. And I think for us, that might be record time. We've brought these two oh, yeah. suckers in in <laughs> about one hour, about two hours and 15 to 18 minutes. Normally, these are four hour extravaganzas. So I think congratulations. <laughs> so much day left. Yeah, totally. Well deserved on our end. <laughs> exactly. So, so listen, what have you got coming out? What can people listen to and where can they find you? Yeah, so uh, obviously still hosting the EPL Roundtable. I'm not as uh, in industry anymore, so hopefully my opinions haven't been terribly wrong, but feel free to yell at me at Kev Roth on Twitter, um, and uh, you might see some UX writing stuff there, uh, <laughs> which is my new new profession about manufacturing as well. So if you haven't unfollowed yet, now's your chance. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear me every day on the this Two-Footed podcast at 4 p.m. You can hear me on the... Anfield Index podcast, be it on the pro side or on the free side, a daily pod every day around lunchtime called Daily Red. I do AI Scouted, post-match Raw, and all those different things. So if you've traipsed over from the EPL roundtable one and wanted to hear the second part, I hope you'll stick with me uh, each day at 4 p.m. Sometimes it's half four, but it just depends. But uh, yeah, that's it. That is us, Kev, and we will reconvene at the end of the summer window, but we should do something in the interim. We should figure out something in the interim to do because uh, these are always fun. Yeah, totally. Love chatting with you. If, if uh, anybody that's listening has ideas for a show, you'd like to hear the two of us, uh, just let us know. Otherwise, Dave and I are probably going to hang out IRL this summer <laughs> before yes. my wedding. <laughs> yes, indeed. Radio. Take care, folks. Bye-bye.
Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh. 